0: If you would, please find Hebrews chapter 13 in your Bibles and pray with me as well. We'll let you find that first. By the way, we're looking at a prayer at the end of the book of Hebrews. One more week to go. This is the second to the last message in the book of Hebrews. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We we love you, Lord. We want to trust you with our whole life. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes this morning to see wonderful things in your word. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at a prayer at the end of the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's focused on God's work. God is perfect. He is perfect in who he is and everything he does. He is perfect in power. He is perfect in holiness. His will is perfect. He is totally, utterly, unequivocally, completely perfect. It's fitting for the writer of Hebrews who asks so passionately in verses 18 and 19 for the people to pray for him and their leaders to now turn and pray for them, for God to bless them. And this prayer in, in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 is often used as a benediction or a blessing at the end of worship services. It's probably the most commonly used benediction in, uh, in Protestant churches. And it, it's because it is a benediction, And a benediction means good word, a good word on behalf of the people, focused on God. The Jews, they considered a benediction an important part of worship. It expressed a desire for the well-being of the hearers. In the Old Testament worship, as God had instructed Moses, Aaron would close the worship with the words of Numbers, chapter 6. Verses 24 through 26. They're they're well-known words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. The Psalms, all 150 of them, they are broken into five books, each with its own benediction at the end. In Psalm 4113, the psalmist says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And the people reply, Amen. And Amen. Jesus He taught his disciples to pray. He gave them the Lord's Prayer, which had a benediction at the end. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The New Testament epistles, all 21 of them, each have one. A writer or speaker could use a benediction in one of two ways. He could address specific needs of the audience, or... He could summarize his message. And that's that's what the writer of Hebrews does. He he summarizes the prominent themes of the letter, He, he boils them down, he distills them, and he brings them into focus one last time. Hebrews is about Jesus Christ's deity and his superiority. And it's about God's desire to use us on the basis of Christ's work. Christ's work on the cross introduced the new covenant. And based on that covenant, God uses us to do His will. Hebrews is about the perfect work of our perfect God. Now the first thing I want you to notice about this prayer is that it is God-focused. Though the writer hopes the readers will respond well, living by faith in their difficult setting, it's not to them that he appeals, but to God. To God himself. See, we may have the desire, we may have the responsibility to do what God wants, but we lack the strength on our own to do it. To carry out what God commands. Now, the writer of Hebrews has exhorted the people often. But here... He knows he must appeal to God, to God alone for the things needed to do his will. But before the request comes the praise. The praise to our perfect God. Uh, It's a great pattern for prayer, by the way. First praise God, then bring your requests. Praise God first, and then come to him with your requests. Verse 20 shows us three reasons to praise God for who he is, what he does. The prayer begins in verse 20, now the God of peace. Now, the God of peace. We know God is a God of hope, we know God is the God of all comfort, we know God is love, and he is the God of peace. Man has declared war on God and God offers terms of peace. Mankind has rebelled, but God offers the gift of eternal life. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To all who would come to Him through faith in Christ, God gives peace that passes understanding. Peace that calms our weary and anxious, and sometimes panicked souls. When you're in distress, in the midst of issues, problems, confusion, or persecution, or anything in life, we need the fresh perspective God gives. He calms our souls. He helps us say, it is well with my soul in every situation. Even in the midst of storm. Especially in the midst of storm. He replaces panic with rest. He replaces anxiety with peace. We have peace with God through Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, the idea of peace has the meaning of well-being and salvation. Like it says in Isaiah 26.3, The steadfast of mind thou wilt keep in perfect peace because his mind is stayed on thee. Trust in the Lord forever for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. But it is most likely that the writer of Hebrews had the Greek notion of peace in mind. The Greek sense of the word is pointing to a need for peace in the midst of unrest. The fact that God is called the God of peace may indicate that this young Hebrew Christian church was experiencing some disunity. Which needed to be healed before God could be pleased with their service. The Greek word for peace, arene, it's a state of being undisturbed. Even in seemingly disturbing situations. We don't always experience God's peace. We, we get frustrated. We get worried. We get anxious. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, shows us how to experience God's peace. Look at Philippians 4, starting at verse 4. You want to know how to experience God's peace? God has granted His peace to all who come by faith to Him in Christ, but we don't always experience the peace that we've been given. Well, here's what it says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Remember the joy that God has given you in Christ. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. Pray. Go to God. Commit yourself to Him. And it says in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses All comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxiety upon Him because, why? He cares for you. He cares for you. You can cast your cares upon Him. They won't get thrown back at you. Romans chapter 15, verses 30-33. through 33. Paul says this, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. And then he says, now the God of peace be with you all. That's how what he prayed is going to happen. And then chapter 16 and verse 20, he is speaking of them being wise in what is 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 in what is um, good and innocent, in what is evil. And then he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And then Paul closes his letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and, and 24 He says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. He will also bring it to pass. In Ephesians 4, verse 3, we're instructed to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To be diligent means to make haste, do it quickly. To preserve means to guard. And it says we are to preserve, to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word bond means to hold fast, to hold like glue. God's peace holds us together. The God of peace who comforts and calms us is also the one who raised Jesus from the dead. The one who resurrected Jesus. Verse 20 says, Who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant even Jesus our Lord. God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. The greatest display of power in the history of the universe. Now there are several references to the cross in the book of Hebrews. But this is the only reference in Hebrews to the resurrection. Jesus was raised back to life. Peter preached it in Acts chapter 2. Look there with me. Acts chapter 2. He stands up. He takes his stand with the eleven and he preaches. He preaches strong, and he and he goes and he says this in verse twenty two: "Men of Israel, listen to these words. Listen, Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through you through him in your midst. You all saw it." He said, "Just as you know," in verse twenty three, "this man." delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And He really did go back up to the right hand of the Father. And He really is coming back. The resurrection, of pow- resurrection power of God is available to you and I. God is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with Him. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond what we could ever ask, what we could ever think. God's the God of peace. He resurrected Jesus, and we see Christ referred to here as the great shepherd of the sheep. The only time in Hebrews that Jesus is called the shepherd. He called himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Peter calls him the chief shepherd, the one who will reward uh, pastor shepherds of God's flock. The psalmist declared Jehovah God to be the shepherd of believers. So Jesus is clearly the divine equal to the Father and the Spirit within the oneness of God. We see his deity over and over again in Scripture. Jesus is God. He's the great shepherd. And the shepherd-sheep relationship was cemented At the cross, through the blood of the new covenant. Reminds us of Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The new covenant lasts forever. The old covenant, it was temporary. It lasted from Moses to Jesus. From Sinai to Calvary. The new covenant goes from Calvary throughout eternity. That's the basis of our hope. That's the basis of our peace. Jesus is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. We're safe in him. We're secure in him. The whole purpose of of biblical Christ-centered preaching is this. It is the preacher's privilege and duty to share with people in need what the Bible says about the shepherd, Jesus. Jesus. That's the point. To share what the Bible says about the shepherd Jesus. We're not supposed to share how five easy ways to have a good life. Or to do this or to do that. But to highlight what the Bible says about our shepherd Jesus Christ. See, if you're lost, the shepherd is seeking you. If you're wayward, the shepherd... Wants you to come back to him. He is pursuing you. If you're hurt or you're burdened, he wants to bind up your wounds. He wants to heal you. If you're walking with him, he wants to feed you and care for you and speak with you. The good shepherd knows his own and they know him and they hear his voice and they follow The title, Great Shepherd of the Sheep, comes from the Septuagint, the Greek version of Isaiah 63, verse 11, which says this, Where is he who brought up from the sea the shepherd of the sheep? The words in their original context refer to Moses, or if you read it plural, the shepherds of the sheep, it refers to Moses and Aaron. Like Psalm 7720 says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. But here they apply to Jesus, the second Moses, who was brought up not from the sea, but from the dead. In the typology of the New Testament, the sea which Israel crossed uh, over out of Egypt is a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was brought up from death by the blood of the eternal covenant. His resurrection, the demonstration that his sacrifice of himself was accepted by God. And the new covenant was established on the basis of that sacrifice that he made on the cross. If you don't yet know the shepherd who took your sins upon himself at the cross and died the death you deserve To die, I invite you right now, where you are, to come to Jesus, to believe the truth about Him, to believe the truth about you that you're lost without Him, and to believe the truth that the shepherd is the one we are to look to. The shepherd is the one who, the only one who can lead us and guide us in God's ways. By His grace, He'll forgive your sin. By his grace, he'll give you a new life. By his grace, he'll give you a fresh start. That's what the shepherd does. This prayer praises God as the God of peace. The one who brought Jesus up from the dead. The great shepherd. And also this prayer acknowledges God's perfect work. His perfect work. Uh, The request is for God, as verse 21 says, to equip them. Equip means uh, perfect or make complete or or to prepare. It, It means to get ready. God wants to perfect you, to prepare you, to complete you, to get you ready for the next step, to get you ready for what is next. Equip also means to to set up or to arrange. God is arranging things the way he wants them to be. The Greek word is katarsisai. It's a medical term used by pagan Greeks for the setting of broken bones. I have never broken a bone, praise God. I have only broken my nose. Mere cartilage. But I hear... That getting a broken bone reset is not painless. But it is necessary. The, the Greek word was also used of fishermen mending their nets. Get a hole in the net and they would, they would fix it. What this word describes is the dynamic act by which God prepares people to do his work. What God does in getting us ready for what He wants us to do. When He does that, He uses tools of His own choosing. And His toolbox is unlimited. Now, this is not a one time occurrence. This is not the type of thing where God gets us ready for something, and then we just go and do that the rest of our life. No, this is, this is um, on-the-job training. This is a process where God continues to work in us, prepping us. It's ongoing. And by the way, it's the same word used in Ephesians 4.12, where pastors are to equip the saints for works of service the process god uses he uses different instruments but what he does through those instruments is he supplies what is lacking in our lives he corrects what is faulty in our thinking or in our actions so that we will be as second timothy 2 says useful to the master prepared for every good work i want you to notice several aspects of god's work first the context Verse 21, equip you in every good thing. That's the sphere or the arena in which God works, in every good thing. Good, by the way, in verse 21 is the Greek word agathos. It means benevolent, profitable, useful, uh, basically good for others. It's a benefit to others. It's in contrast with the word for good that we see in verse 19, kalos, which is good, but not necessarily benefiting others. This means good for everyone. We're blessed to bless others. Not one-sided. It's meant to be poured out. It's meant to benefit those God desires to bless, using us as his instruments. We must engage in good deeds to meet present needs. That's the idea. Doing things that correspond to God's goodness. At home. At church. At school. In the marketplace. In the community. Wherever we find ourselves. And it flows from a heart that has acknowledged its inherent badness and has come to Jesus... For goodness. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. But then read the next verse. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. This idea of God equipping us for His work, it presupposes, just by by virtue of the word equip, and that it means to prepare and to uh, arrange and literally to fix something that is broken. It presupposes that there are some things that need to be corrected Before we can perform well. It's like an athlete that is having trouble with his shot. Or his swing. And need to work on it. It's like an athlete who sprains their ankle. Or breaks their finger. And you've got to put a a, a cast or a, a, a wrap on it. And then they've got to rest. And let it heal. And then they can do well. The reader's. This original letter had some fractures and some, some tears that that God wanted to repair. So do we. God's in the business of restoring what has been broken down and torn apart by sin. And God performs this procedure in many ways. By his word. Through prayer. Through godly wisdom from family and friends. Sometimes from wisdom from someone we've never met before. Who speaks some truth into our life. Through circumstances. Through the equipping ministry of pastor teachers who faithfully Proclaim the inspired word of God through the shepherding of the flock by spiritual overseers. There are many ways God uses. In the ways of His choosing, God gives the necessary desire and tools and resources and abilities and gifts and talents and treasure to do what He has called us to do in us and through us so that we would be as 1st Timothy 6:18 says, rich in good deeds. So that we would be as Colossians 1:10 says, bearing fruit in every good thing and every good work. God's toolbox is unlimited and he works in and through us. Then there's the goal of his work. The goal of his work is to do his will, to do what he wants. Doing God's will because what he wants is of supreme importance. Like James chapter four says, don't go making your plans and then ask God to bless them after the fact. Don't go do something that you know will overextend you financially or relationally, or that will hinder your family or hinder hinder your livelihood, and then say, "Okay, God, uh, now bless this." Don't go jump in the pool and then decide that you need to learn how to swim. we've got to put things in proper priority we've got to listen to god first we've got to go to god first with the plan and say the will of god be done if the lord wills well i've got this idea and if god wills it'll come to pass So, you love god first then make your plans Do as you please. In fact, love God and do as you please because when we love God first, as Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the right desires. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. And that word commit literally means to roll roll your plans to god get them away from you and into his hands and your plans will be established if they're what god wants you to do see he will grant every desire for goodness and even if you can't see the fruit right now you may know the pain of wanting what god wants you deeply desire the will of god But you haven't seen the fruit yet. It hasn't happened yet. Your heart is right with God, but you've been passed up for the promotion once again. The report you worked on for months is sitting at the bottom of someone's inbox unnoticed. You know the disappointment of not being chosen, of being overlooked. Your efforts are ignored. You take the hits of those who are opposed to you. But Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to keep trusting God. Trust God. Keep trusting Him. He will do what glorifies Himself. Keep walking in His ways. Keep doing what you know is right. God is still there. He will reward your faithfulness in His time. He is in control. He knows the plans He has for you. To prosper you, not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope. That's God's will for you. We have heartache and disappointment in this life. But God has something far better in store. And someday, we're going to walk on streets of gold. In a place of no disappointments. In a place of no heartache. In a place of no pain. Or tears. Or anxiety. Or panic. Or confusion. Because there's also the power of God's work. It's God working in us what is pleasing in his sight. Paul told the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And it might sound like he was saying, you're on your own. But he wasn't. Because in the very next verse, he explains, for it is God who is at work in you to will and do His good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God's at work in you. And He is willing. He is doing His good pleasure in you. One of the most common errors is trying to live the Christian life in our own strength, in our own resources. It, God doesn't say to us, okay, I saved you, now I'll see you in heaven. You run along and you're on your own now. He doesn't say that. He's with us all. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And He's walking every step of the way with us, providing everything we need for life and godliness along that way he is the guardian and captain of our souls but we grab the reins we grab the wheel we want to drive but we, we we grasp the truth of this verse we recognize once again the futility of living in our own strength it doesn't work Are you a believer in Jesus? If you are a believer in Jesus, God is at work in you. The path you walk may be lonely at times. You may feel like you're the only one in your sphere of influence who really wants what God wants. But we don't walk alone because God is with us every step of the way. And His word is a A a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the goal of God's equipping us to do what He wants is this perfecting work. He wants us to be moving in direction with Him, aligned with Him rather than chasing after fool's gold. Alignment with God. And there's a promise Philippians 1 6 He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He'll do it. As we've seen before, everything in the Christian life is through Jesus Christ. Everything goes through Jesus. The way is through Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. John Owen wrote, The Father communicates all his love to us through Christ, and we pour out our love to the Father only through Christ. Christ is the priest into whose hand we put all the offerings we wish to give to the Father. Through Jesus Christ, what God calls us to do, he enables us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the absolutely essential thing for us to do then is to hold fast to Jesus. And the great thing is that he holds fast to us. Sometimes we're unfaithful, but he remains faithful. The early, the early Christians of this Hebrew church were seeing their world crumble before their very eyes. Their world was changing right in front of them. So's ours. Their security, their peace, their prosperity in the world was falling away. And at the same time, they were asked to live a life beyond their wildest imagination, to live life according to God's will And to live in ways that are pleasing to Him. You see, the end result is always glory to God. Always glory to God. Verse 21 ends, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That should be the end result and the goal of our every endeavor. We're to cooperate with what God is doing. But can you look back in your life And see God preparing you for what he has brought you through? Can you recognize that some of the things that you wish had been eliminated in your life are the very things that God is using right now to use you in big ways? Can you see that he has used those things to prepare you for what you're able to do now? Can you realize that he is preparing you right now for something yet future? We who know Jesus are privileged to be used by our perfect God for his perfect work. By grace, we are saved. And by grace, God is preparing us for the next step. And by grace, we will take that step. And the question we should be asking is simple. What's my assignment right now? What's my assignment right now, God? We've got to be on the lookout for that. Let's pray. Please stand with me. Let's stand and, and pray together. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that you are perfect and that you work perfectly. And we do pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the assignment that you have for us today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.